Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Laura Lucio. Jean-Claude Ramond had a lengthy career as a World Health Organization doctor in Geneva, Switzerland. He lived not far from his work in France. His job was to invent new medications for trial testing. He would bring his wife and kids souvenirs from his trips, and he seemed to have the perfect life. In January of 1993, when all those closest to him die, including his children, on the same day in two different homes in France, this doctor's past is closely examined. And what gets dug up is shocking. Why don't you come hang out with me while I parlay some true crime? Welcome to another episode, episode 51. I'm over the 50th mark, everybody, and well on my way to 100 now. You better believe it. I'm sticking around. I will be taking a few weeks off at the end of this month, but I will be back at the beginning of March. I was ahead in my recordings and research, so I didn't think I was going to have to do this, but I went to a concert. I attended this concert, 3,000 people there. And I was struck down by the infamous COVID-19 motherfucking asshole virus. So this has now put me behind in, in more ways than one. But hey, that's life. That's life. So I might sound a bit weird. I waited for as long as I could to record, hoping my voice would revert back to its normal state. But oh well. Let's just get into this absolutely mind-blowing case. This case is crazy. Jean-Claude Romand, he was born in the Burgundy region of France in February of 1954. His mother, Anne-Marie, she stayed at home to take care of him. And his father, Ami, he worked as a timber manager. Uh, and I believe his father had worked also in this timber field. So this was you know, his father did it, now he did it, and then Jean-Claude got interested in it, but he ended up taking a different path in life. Uh, nothing particularly terrible came out about his childhood, except uh, he's pretty sure his father killed his pet dog, which is really sad. Uh, and his mother, Anne-Marie, she was unwell a lot, um, and she had a hard time with pregnancy, and she ended up being only able to give birth to one son, which which was Jean-Claude. Jean-Claude's pet dog, let's just talk about that for a minute, that was his best friend. He didn't really have a confidant aside from this dog. From what I gathered, he didn't really feel comfortable talking to his parents, so he talked to his dog. I mean, I get that. I talk to my dog all the time. We're out hiking. Other hikers must think I'm insane <laughs> because I'm like, oh, look at that. Oh, what's that? Oh, constantly talking to my dog. Um, so for Jean-Claude, when his dog died, this was just incredibly heartbreaking to him. His father never said he killed the dog. He actually said the dog ran away. So, I mean, it is possible. Maybe the dog was sick and his father had to put it down or maybe the dog did just run away. But Jean-Claude, even to this day, suspects his father killed his dog. And it appears he never got over this. 
even as a grown man, he still gets emotional when speaking about this incident. This really affected him. Jean-Claude's father had previously been a prisoner of war for five years before he met and married Anne-Marie. So it's possible his father was closed off, you know, from having endured such trauma. I can imagine being a prisoner of war to be a really, really terrible, terrible ordeal to go through. Jean-Claude went to boarding school uh, when he got a bit older. And this is where Jean-Claude saw wealthy kids with wealthy parents that had highly regarded professions such as doctors. This perhaps motivated him to aspire for this career path as previously he wanted to get into the timber business like his father and his father's father. So he kind of switched He kind of switched gears here. He was like, nah, I don't want to work in the timber industry. I want one of these jobs that makes me rich and respected. So he graduated and then he went on to medical school. By his third year of medical school, he was diagnosed with lymphoma and he broke the news to one of his concerned friends that he had cancer. His friend went to check up on him one day and was like, hey, are you okay? Because Jean-Claude and his girlfriend Florence, they had just broke up. And Jean-Claude was like, no, I'm not okay. And it's not just because Florence broke up with me, but it's because I have lymphoma. And Jean-Claude's lymphoma, it eventually went into remission quite quickly. And he was able to get back to school without much time passing. So he was having a bit of a rough go at it for a minute there. His girlfriend broke up with him. He got lymphoma. But in almost no time at all, he was back at school. Jean-Claude, he did go back to med school and was successful at it. It was while he was studying all those years, he met a woman named Florence. Florence was the girlfriend who he had met at the beginning of med school, but they had a breakup, like I was just saying, uh, and uh, just before, they broke up just before his lymphoma, and then they got back together when Jean-Claude's cancer went into remission. Also, Florence is a cousin of Jean-Claude's that he had a crush on since the age of 14. That's right, kissing cousins. Apparently she was a distant cousin, so I'm not sure how distant, but they knew each other as teenagers from family reunions. So again, I am not sure how distant, but they ended up getting married in 1980. Um... For those of you who know the band The Dead South, just do me a favor right now and YouTube The Dead South Banjo Odyssey. If you know The Dead South, you know exactly the song I'm talking about. Uh, weirdly enough, it was The Dead South concert uh, where I got COVID from. So Dead South, if you hear this, you should know I supported you, came to see you live, and I got COVID. Okay, enough of that. Jean-Claude and Florence, who are cousins, they get married. Florence went to the same school as Jean-Claude, and she was studying to be a pharmacist. I think actually at first she was in the same class as him. She was also going to be a doctor, but she failed some exam early on, like second year exam or something, and she switched to uh, pharmacology. Uh, And she succeeded at that. She was a pharmacist, and that's what she was working at, uh, while Jean-Claude worked as a medical researcher. Two professionals who both studied hard, now working in the fields that they specialized in. It sounds like a success story. 
well. Jean-Claude and Florence, they eventually had two children. Carolyn was born in 1985 and Antoine was born in 1987 and everything seemed great. Their life was going great. It was all roses. Eventually, Jean-Claude gets a job working for the World Health Organization. Who? W-H-O. As a medical researcher doing stuff like inventing new medications for trial testing. That sounds fucking exciting. That is a very cool job. So his office was located in Geneva, Switzerland, which was only a half hour from their home in France. Jean-Claude, he was very persistent in keeping his worlds apart. He seemed to be very professional at this. He never allowed work colleagues to visit him at home or even call him at home. He never allowed his family into his office or at his work at all. If Florence needed her husband, she was to only leave a message with a answering service, uh, which I'm not even sure what the hell that is, but apparently that service would page him on his pager and would be like, hey, your wife's trying to get a hold of you. And he would be like, cool. And then he would call her from that. So kind of a lengthy system to get a hold of her husband there. Often he traveled to other countries as well, like Japan and Brazil, and he would call home and tell his family all about it. And when he returned, he would give them souvenirs. So he was going out on these business trips to these beautiful foreign countries. He was bringing them home gifts from those countries, which that sounds really nice. By all accounts, he seemed to really love his wife and kids, and he was always in contact with them when he was away on business. He would even bring his family little presents from Geneva, where his office was located. So even just going to work for the day, he would come back and be like, oh, look what I brought you from Switzerland. Cute. That's fucking cute. I bet it was like chocolate and cool shit like that. He was seemingly a great father and he and his family lived in a big, beautiful home. He drove a very nice car and they were no strangers to luxuries. They seemed to want for nothing. Not only did he have this amazing career at the World Health Organization, but he was having very good luck in investments. So this is where serious money is made. Investors, if they're good at it, and they know their shit, this is where the big money is made. And he was doing so well with these investments and his annual returns were so high that his family and friends got him to invest their money with him. They were trusting him with large sums of money to invest for them. One of his friends named Corinne gave him 900 thousand francs to invest that is a shit ton of francs 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 whatever i'm not exactly sure the uh, conversion from the 80s until now or the conversion of francs to u.s dollars but i would assume it's almost half a million u.s dollars but someone feel free to fact check that there's just like a lot of conversion going on there conversing <laughs> It's a lot of converging going on there. You know what I mean? I got confused because different sources were saying different things. These were not small investments, though. We do know that. These were not small investments. This was big game we're talking about. And he knew what he was doing. And people trusted him to make them more money with their money. Making money on money. Making money on money. In October of 1988, Jean-Claude, he was alone with his father-in-law, Pierre. And Pierre, he had a terrible accident. He fell down the stairs in his home. It was a really 
bad fall, and when emergency services arrived, Pierre could only make out a few words. He could only kind of mumble a few words before being put on oxygen, and then he fell into a coma. Eventually, this fall led to Pierre's death a few days later, and he never came out of that coma. So he fell down these stairs, tries to mumble a few words. He's very incoherent. Um, They put him on oxygen. He goes into a coma, never wakes up, dies. This was ruled an accident, and and it, it wasn't looked into. It was just like, okay, this is a terrible accident. Jean-Claude, he was the only one there the day Pierre had fallen. Nobody else saw this fall. And Pierre was never conscious again. So we'll talk about, we'll talk more about that later. Jean-Claude, he planned his father-in-law's funeral. He was being a supportive husband to his wife. He was helping, he was helping out with all of the funeral arrangements. It was five years after Pierre's death on January 11th, 1993, a fire breaks out in Jean-Claude's home where he, his wife, and two kids live. Carolyn and Antoine are seven and five years old at this time, and the entire family is inside the home. When the fire department shows up, they see Jean-Claude in the upstairs window, and the window is open. Firemen, they get Jean-Claude out of the home through that window and put out the fire. The attic, stairwell, and children's room were all starting points of this fire, and an accelerant was used. Inside the home were two children in their beds and his wife Florence in her bed and they were all dead but it wasn't fire that killed them a family member went over to Jean-Claude's parents home to tell them what has just happened and finds Jean-Claude's mother and father dead as well and I'm going to drop a bomb on this case and then revisit the days leading up to the fire with more detail of what exactly happened. So I just gave you a little brief overview of everything. Now I'm going to rip the sheet out from under you. I'm about to blow this shit up. So investigators believed that Jean-Claude and his family had been targeted. But let's rewind. Rewind and talk about the real Jean-Claude Romain because everything you know as of now is a lie basically everything his name is Jean-Claude Romain but okay he is not who you think he is this is how what I just told you what you know right now this is how his wife and kids and parents and family and friends and everybody everybody knew him as what I just told you now but in reality he had been living a lie For 18 years. 18 years. Jean-Claude, he did go to boarding school, okay? We'll rewind it all the way back to his childhood. He did go to boarding school, and he did aspire to be a doctor. But almost everything after that was fabricated. Jean-Claude made it into his second year of medical school, but he never passed the exam because he never took it. He did schedule a time to retake the exam, but later on he says he didn't take that one because he broke his wrist. But there is no evidence of that anywhere. And as we will find out, he has pathological tendencies to lie. This exam was never taken in a reschedule, and he failed his second year because he he didn't do this exam. But it didn't stop him from going to school or telling his parents he passed that exam. That he never took. Now the web of lies starts to get weaved and it gets 
intricate. He enrolled for his second year. Okay, so he enrolls for his second year for the next 12 years. That's right, 12 years. Jean-Claude was a second year medical student, but he would go to all the classes and lectures with his school friends who were advancing in years. He would actually show up on exam days and talk to all his classmates as if he just sat the exams that his friends sat. And nobody knew he was lying. It would be exam day and everyone would write their exams and be chilling out afterwards talking about it. And there was Jean-Claude hanging out with them like, Yeah, that was tough. Glad that's over. Super excited for next year. (laughs) And every year, he would just re-enroll for his second year. And every year, he would get a new student ID badge. And he went to classes and lectures, but never sat any exams and never actually advanced from his second year. What? What the hell's going on here? So he was only in his second year, but he was going to third year fourth year, fifth year, sixth year, seventh year, eighth year, classes and lectures. He was going through the process as if he was becoming a doctor, but he was never advancing, I guess, legally. So um, how did the school not know about this? How did they just allow Jean-Claude to re-enroll in his second year for 12 fucking years? I, I don't know. I could only guess this is a really large university and he just flew under the radar, but I mean, don't professors get class list and take attendance is he what what's happening here was he just always blending in and no one in the class noticed Jean-Claude's name was ever called I'm not sure how it works do you write your name down on a piece of paper I have no idea so when I heard this I thought okay let me get this straight Jean-Claude was a second year med student for 12 years but he learned basically everything he needed to graduate as a full-on doctor because he continued to to go to year three, four, five, six, whatever, and so on. He went to all these classes. He learned all the things he needed to learn. He bought all the books. He bought like used school books. He was even he even had the textbooks. Uh, and as the years passed, he just kept doing this. Uh, it, why? To keep up appearances with his classmates and, and I guess his parents and Florence, who thought that he was advancing. But really, he never took the exams, actually gained the credentials nor surpass his second year status. He was just a second year med student continuously for 12 years. It sounds like a a hell. Sounds like hell. And what really kind of puts this into perspective is imagine starting grade one. You're in grade one. You're a child. You go to year two, you go to year three. Next thing you know, you're in grade eight. Then you graduate and you're in high school. Then you in high school for those four years and then you graduate and you go off to university. So that's a whole fucking life. Like imagine when you started grade one to the time you graduated year 12 in high school. That is a huge part of some, it's a huge chunk of life. And he did this while never advancing in grades. He was always a second year medical student for 12 years. That just blows my mind when you put it into that perspective. Like this is basically the whole length of a whole person's school career if they go from grade one to graduating high school. That's crazy. That is just so long. So 
he could have actually been a real doctor after all those years. He took all the steps. He just never took the exams. He studied with classmates. He went over notes from lectures with them. He, he, he did all the... I, it just blows my mind. Why did he do all the work to learn and buy the textbooks and go through all that trouble if he wasn't even taking the exams or... Adva- I, I have no idea. Okay, I just got to move on because this is just spiraling in my brain um he would even one more thing though he would even study with florence him and florence would even spend time together studying like he invested a ton of time into making people think that he was advancing as a medical doctor or as a medical student (laughs) as for tuition fees i think i'm not totally sure but i think it's really cheap to attend university in france if you're a citizen of the eu something like a few hundred dollars so so it's not like tuition was hundreds of thousands of dollars uh because my other thought was who the fuck paid for this 12 years as a second year medical student like imagine finding that out imagine you're a parent you find that out you're like okay and imagine like it was like a hundred two hundred three hundred thousand dollars to get this <laughs> you'd be so pissed off so his parents they did buy him an apartment to live in while he studied so it's not like he had to pay rent or tuition I don't even think they were like, hey, you should get a part-time job to pay for anything. I think they were like, no, we'll pay for everything and you just focus on your studies. So maybe he just didn't want to lose his apartment or that sweet student lifestyle that he had. Maybe he was scared he would actually fail the exams. Uh, And once he skipped the one, he realized he could just keep skipping them and still stay in school and maintain this status that he's becoming a doctor. I'm not sure. This was hard for me to wrap my head around. I was really stuck on this for a while like why the hell did you do that it is later revealed he may have narcissistic personality disorder and it was really important to him to keep up this appearance of being smart and successful and maybe he couldn't face the possibility of failing an exam and having to redo his entire year um, as those around him succeeded and advanced so maybe it had something to do with with that with his personality disorder I'm not sure. It's hard to pinpoint where exactly his lies really began, uh, but I would say it was around the time of his second year uh, medical schooling when he didn't take that exam. And I think this is when those lies really started to grow and grow and grow until eventually he was just living this double life. (laughs) I don't know. But what about the lymphoma? He told classmates he had lymphoma, you know, in between his second and third year. Well, So he wasn't in his third year. He was in his second year still, I believe, for the second time. Um, So that was also a lie. He was starting this year off as a lie. He's like, hey, I'm in my third year. Yeah, but I'm not going because I'm really depressed because I have lymphoma and my girlfriend broke up with me. So this is like, this is like one truth and two lies. You know that game, two lies and a truth or whatever, because Florence did break up with him, yes. No, he was not in his third year. He was repeating his second year. And no, he did not have lymphoma. So his, those were his two lies. Maybe he was trying to figure out what he was going to do. I'm not really sure. But they, uh, in the source that I said, in the source that I read, it said that he said he had lymphoma because as a medical student, he knew it would be really easy to explain away. 
to say like, oh yeah, it went into remission because apparently that's quite common with lymphoma to just be able to kind of move on when it goes into remission. I'm not sure about that, but that's what one source said. Uh, Maybe he used that as a lie to buy him some time to figure out how he could keep up his other lies because he said he passed his second year exam, but he didn't. So maybe he was trying to figure out how he could appear as a third year student, but be enrolled as a second year. I'm not exactly sure why he did what he did or continues to do it from here on out. So this next part, it reminds me of that movie. I think it's called The Girl on the Train or something where this woman loses her job, but every day she wakes up and pretends to go to work, but just rides the train instead. But she just wants everyone to think she has a job. This is this blows my mind because people fucking do this. And I just wonder like, how many people are doing this right now? How many people are telling their partner or their family, yeah, I have a job, but really they don't. Like, I feel like this is quite common. It's just, it's very unsettling. It's like this like double life that like people do. It's just, it weirds me out. It weirds me out. And that's why this whole case just kind of weirds me out. But this case, man, this is not end well. So Jean-Claude, he did something similar, like the girl on the train movie, um, but for longer. And he didn't just ride a train. Remember how he told Florence he worked at the World Health Organization? Well, he would actually drive to Geneva to the World Health Organization and hang out in the lobby. He would hang out in the public public access areas he would hang out in the library and he would use the bank there send mail collect brochures and he would do all the things to make it look like he actually worked there but he wasn't working there he was just hanging out there he was just hanging out one day he snuck into the offices and took a picture of one and showed it to his parents and was like hey check out my office (laughs) And they believed him. You cannot make this stuff up. This is, okay, this is desperate. He didn't spend all his time lurking around the Who building, though. He would go enjoy local cafes and even go on hikes in the mountains, all the while pretending he was at work. So he's like, bye, going to work for the day. And then he would go hike some, like, sweet-ass Swiss mountains, which, I mean, you can't be mad about that. That doesn't really hurt anybody. But if only he just would have stopped there he just should have came clean and said you know what I am gonna go into forestry after all I am gonna get into the timber business that's what I want to do that is who I am I would be third generation of my family and I'm fucking proud of it I'm gonna do it that's what he should have done but he didn't (sighs) he did not he lied he would say he was going on business trips to Japan and Brazil I mean he brought back gifts and called his family while he was away and told them the places he was visiting, even sharing what the weather was like. But all that was a lie. So he'd call home and be like, ooh, bit chilly here today in Japan. He wasn't in Japan. He was not in Japan. He would actually go to the airport in Geneva and buy them gifts from the airport, check into a nearby hotel, read guidebooks to the places he said he was at, and then call home. Only being less than an hour away and pretend to be on the other side of the world after a few days at the hotel he would go home and give everyone souvenirs and lie his ass off could you imagine thinking the man you have known almost your entire life studied with went to school with married had two kids with built an entire 
life together for many, many years was not actually the person with that life or job or credentials, was not that person at all. It is crazy. It reminds me of that scene from Bridesmaids when the girl, uh, oh, I forget her name, the really hilarious blonde girl, and she gets fired from her job as a jeweler because she's helping these people buy an engagement ring and she tells the woman like, you can never trust anyone ever. (laughs) It just reminds me of that part because... Yeah, Florence could not trust Jean-Claude. She, he was not who she thought he was. But what about all those investments Jean-Claude said he was getting major returns on? And the investments he made for family and friends, what is happening with those investments? All lies. Not real. Never happened. He was running a scam. I was going to say Ponzi scheme, but I think in order for it to be considered a Ponzi scheme, he would have had to been paying people out with other investors' money. And I don't think anyone ever saw their money ever again once it was handed over to Jean-Claude. Remember how I said his friend Corinne gave him a ton of money to invest? Well, she made that money from selling her home. And another thing about Corinne is that she wasn't just Jean-Claude's friend. She was his mistress. That's right. He wasn't just lying to his wife about having this medical degree and a good job and going on all these business trips and blah, 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 blah. But he also had a woman on the side who he was also full on lying to about having this job with who and all these investment opportunities. He just lied to everybody. Not only Corinne invested large amounts of money in the hands of Jean-Claude, but his father-in-law Pierre also invested 300,000 francs before Corinne did. And what happened when Pierre asked for his investment to be paid out to him? Well, one week later, Pierre died from falling down the stairs in his home when Jean-Claude was the only person to witness the fall. It's said that when EMTs arrived on site, Pierre was struggling to get words out. But one of the paramedics claimed Pierre was saying Jean-Claude's name. And that's when Jean-Claude stepped in and strapped the oxygen mask securely over his father-in-law's mouth so Jean-Claude could no longer even mumble these words that he was trying to tell the EMTs. Pierre dies a few days later having never finished what he was saying about Jean-Claude. And we will never know. To this day, Jean-Claude was never charged with anything in relation to his father-in-law's death. But a lot of people are wondering what actually happened the day of that fall. Knowing what people know now, it's possible Pierre was onto the fake investments. He wanted his money back. After Pierre dies from the fall, his wife, so Florence's mother, gives her son-in-law, Jean-Claude, 1.3 million francs to invest, having no idea he couldn't be trusted. This money was never invested. In fact, Jean-Claude bought himself a home on a farm. A beautiful home on a farm with it. That's what he did with that money he was supposed to be investing. His wife would have had no fucking idea where this money had come from, but it came from her mother. Nobody knew. He was just like, I made all this money from investing. Wrong. You made all that money from stealing people's investments. I don't even think you could call them investments. You committed fraud. Basically, it's fraud. Um, So how was Jean-Claude funding this lavish lifestyle? 
I think that's clear. But so it's pretty clear at this point that this is how Jean-Claude was funding his lavish lifestyle. I mean, his wife thought that he had this great job, you know, because they had this big home, they had these nice cars. But really, he was just scamming people, hanging out in coffee shops, reading medical journals, hanging out at airport hotels or the public access uh, part of the Who building in Geneva. So I don't know. But he also had some other things going on the side. He sold that apartment his parents bought him to live in while he was studying. Um, then he went on to this, the fake investment scheme. So he sold that apartment, made a bunch of money from that, started telling people he could invest their money to make them money, but was just taking their money. And then he also ran another scam on a dying man with cancer. Yes, you heard me correctly. He ran a scam on a dying, desperate man saying he could get him access to a trial drug to help him get better from cancer. And the man and his family were willing to pay anything to save their loved one who was suffering. Jean-Claude told this man, hey, look, I'm working on trial medication that could really help you. But the thing is, it's not available yet and it's really expensive and I'll have to steal it for you. Uh, so you have to give me a bunch of money and I can get you two pills. And the man and his family did. They gave Jean-Claude a bunch of money for this trial medication. The pills didn't work and the man died. <sighs> just so messed up that anyone could do that the pills were not anything they weren't anything they were like a placebo that it didn't help this man in any way shape or form and John claude just made a bunch of money from these people who were just so desperate to save their loved one two years before the death of pierre um who had fallen down the stairs in 1986 which is six years after he and florence married the university noticed john claude had been enrolled as a second year medical student for over a decade so this is when this is all starting to trickle down and they were like hey um can you fuck off we've just noticed you've been in our school we've just noticed you've been in your second year since like the mid 70s uh why it took the university so long to notice i do not know but also why did he keep enrolling? He was already lying about everything. I mean, what's the point? Couldn't he just like reuse his old ID and just keep going to these classes? I don't know. Maybe he just really needed that updated ID. Maybe they just made it too easy for him. I don't know. I'm also not too sure how the process of becoming a doctor works, I guess, but this seems far from the correct way. I, <laughs> maybe he kept enrolling and was just telling his family he was specializing in something. I don't know. I don't know. So how did, um, how did Jean-Claude's liar life start to come undone? Well, he started to advocate for a principal at the university who had been involved in an affair with a professor. This principal was married, so this was a salacious scandal situation. Jean-Claude, who, by the way, I don't even think he was enrolled anymore, uh, he was against the principal losing his job over this. Why is Jean-Claude still involved with this university? I do not know, and I find it odd he's keeping up with school newsletters, but he was, I guess. So there he was. The president of the school was like, who the hell is this Jean-Claude guy? Uh, you know, he's causing a lot of stink being against us in this principal losing their 
job due to this affair. Uh, and so the president wanted to speak with Jean-Claude, but couldn't find his contact number at the World Health Organization. And also couldn't find his information in the International Pension Fund. So big surprise there. There was no information about Jean-Claude. He couldn't find him in this International Pensions Fund information database. He couldn't find his contact number at the World Health Organization. He was like, who the hell is this guy who's been enrolled in his second year for 12 years? <laughs> I don't know. So this person looking for him ends up speaking to Florence and he tells her, um, something strange is happening here and it could be nothing, but I was looking for your husband in all these places for information, but it was like he didn't exist as an employee for who, or like he has a pension or anything. And Florence was like, yeah, that's, um, that is weird. Then Florence goes to Jean-Claude and says, hey, this guy told me he was looking for your information in all of these places. And it's like, you don't have a pension or work for who isn't like, isn't that strange? And Jean-Claude was like, yeah, that is like super weird. But underneath his cool exterior, I'm sure he was getting worried. Even though Corinne, Jean-Claude's mistress, had broken up with him, she still had a lot of money invested with him. And she starts asking for this money in 1992. She's like, can I have my money back that I invested? Like I'd kind of need that money back and this must have put further pressure on him because his wife is just asking questions about him now his ex-mistress is asking for her investment back that clearly he can't give her back so this is just like pressure he's just having all this pressure all of his lies are starting to unfold because he didn't have that money and he didn't have that job and he didn't live this life that he thought that he had convinced everybody that he had been living and people, they were starting to ask questions. So he managed to keep everything at bay for a while. But by January of 1993, he knew his 18-year-long con was coming to a close. 18 fucking years of lies and deceit. That is such a long con. And what's really crazy is that it wasn't strangers he had conned. It was the people closest to him. And it wasn't for, you know, one or two scams. It was his entire adult life. Everything was a lie and it was all surfacing. Jean-Claude came up with an idea. First, he got some cash. Then he got some drugs. Then he got some weapons, including a taser, mace, 22 caliber bullets, and a silencer for the gun to go with it. Who the hell is selling this and not getting suspicious? Especially when Jean-Claude asked for a taser, mace, bullets, and a silencer. Wait for it. To be gift wrapped. Gift wrapped. <laughs> uh, all he was missing was plastic sheets and a roll of duct tape. But the plan he had didn't require those things, I guess. Instead, he bought gasoline. That's right. He went on this weird shopping trip. He bought gasoline. He bought tasers. He bought a mace. He bought 22 caliber bullets. He bought this silencer. Most of these items he had gift wrapped. I don't know who they thought he was buying these gifts for. Uh, I, I don't know. It's after Christmas also, by the way. It's January. What the hell? It's not even a Christmas gift. Who's he buying all these gifts for? Anyways, January 9th, 1993, Jean-Claude, already armed with the 22 caliber rifle that he took from his father, by the way, he was at home with his wife, Florence. 
he didn't use this gun on Florence, but he did use it later. He does use this gun later. That night, Jean-Claude beat Florence to death with a rolling pin in their bedroom. Only two people know the details of what happened that night in that bedroom. One of them is dead, and the other claims he doesn't remember doing it. Jean-Claude does, however, remember washing off the rolling pin and putting it back. Then, and this is very disturbing, this is really, really, really fucked up, then he goes to bed, sleeping in the same bed with his dead wife's bloodied, beaten body for the entire night. He sleeps beside her. This is a very brutal case and I will put a trigger warning on what happens next because it involves his children who are only seven and five years old. The next morning Jean-Claude gets out of the bloodied bed in which he slept all night with a dead body next to him. The His wife's dead body who they had been married for so long. It's just I can't even imagine how someone can do that. That is just so messed up. Who just gets a good night's sleep? after killing anybody, first of all, and then who gets a good night's sleep after brutally murdering their wife and then sleeping beside their dead, battered, beaten, bloodied body? I have no... How? I just don't know how. This is a terrifying human being, everybody. Super, super terrifying. So he gets out of bed the next day. He's talking to his kids like everything's fine. He puts on some cartoons. He's like, let's watch cartoons together. Children, him and his children, they watch cartoons like everything is normal. He gives them some water, but they don't like it and they don't drink it. They said it tasted weird. The water has the drugs in it that he had bought earlier. That's right. He handed his children water laced with barbiturates in hopes they would drink it and pass out or die. It's unclear what exactly his his plan was, but either way, what happens next is very graphic and evil. And here's your trigger warning. The children say they don't feel well and Jean-Claude puts them into their beds. So he's like, okay, you don't feel well. Go lay down in your bed. He puts one in, into the bed and he shoots that child with the 22 caliber rifle. He gets the other child in bed and he shoots that child with the 22 caliber rifle. Children. His own children. He killed his own children after watching cartoons with them. And the night before, he killed his own wife, the mother of these children, and then slept with her body in that bed. It's just, it's, uh, I can't, I just, I, I don't understand this man's brain and I'm, I'm really glad I, I don't understand him. After that, so after he did this to his children, he went to his parents' home, like everything was normal. He had dinner with them and then he shot them dead. He shot his father in the back and his mother in the front and he did this in two separate rooms of the home. But it doesn't end there because he then killed his father's dog. Remember at the beginning of the episode when I was like, he is adamant that his father killed his childhood dog and he never let that go? Well, as an adult man, he then killed his father and then killed his father's dog. He covered all of their bodies up with blankets, which to me indicates some guilt or shame. But that's debatable considering how effortlessly this all seemed to be for him. So I'm not really sure. He even covered the dog's body up with a blanket. 
So just absolutely brutal. Although he did seem to care an awful lot about how people viewed him. So maybe he knew at this point he had failed in life and, you know, he there was no covering up this lie and he couldn't stand their eyes on him so maybe he he'd covered them up not because he felt guilty about killing them but because he even when they were dead he didn't want them looking at him or judging him because he would think everybody's judging him then he calls Corinne okay he's not done yet he is not done yet he is on a spree and this spree I found this spree to be particularly interesting because he slept like I would call that a bit of a cooling off period so he does one murder and then he sleeps he wakes up he does two more murders then like half a day goes by because he did that in the morning and then he called his parents and was like hey I'm gonna come over for dinner let's have dinner together so he had like half a day again to cool down another cooling off period he goes over there in the evening kills them okay he now again has a bit of a cooling off period then he calls Corinne. He tells her, oh yeah, uh, let me take you out to a work dinner. I told you about this a couple days ago and you know, I can give you your investment money back you have been asking for. And she's like, okay, come get me. And, and he does. He goes to get her. He goes to get her. He goes, he goes to, to get her. He goes to pick her up. Holy moly. Okay. He goes into her home where she is and her two daughters are. She has children in her home at this point. She has no idea what's happened. She has no idea what he's been up to, okay? Her two daughters are in this home and their babysitter. And again, he acts totally normal. Jean-Claude and Corinne, they leave the home, okay? Every, he doesn't do anything to the kids. He doesn't do anything to the babysitter. They leave the home and they get into his car. And she's looking for her money because she has been asking about it for a while now. And he says, oh, no, sorry, I don't have it yet. Uh, and they drive away. So she's like, ugh, this guy, this guy just won't give me my money. So they drive down some secluded roads, which is terrifying. And Jean-Claude is like, oh, no, I think I'm lost. Uh, but also I have a present for you. Um, do you mind if I pull over and give it to you and figure out where we are? And she's like, yeah, okay, whatever. And this present was apparently a necklace. Okay, a necklace. When she gets out of the car, he tells her to close her eyes. So she's like, oh, okay, I'm going to get a present. You know, it's kind of creepy, but okay. So she closes her eyes. He then sprays mace in her face and tases her. A struggle begins and Corinne fought knowing full well what was happening. She's like, this motherfucker's trying to kill me. And it was only when she looked him directly in his eyes that he stopped fighting with her and he backpedaled. He backpedaled this attack saying, she attacked him. You attacked me. I'm defending myself. And Corinne was like, what the fuck? I did not attack you. And he said, oh, well, I have been lashing out because my cancer is back. So he's flip-flopping, he's backpedaling, he's moving every which way. Corinne just needed to get the hell out of there and she convinces him to give her a ride home. And he actually does. Before they left the spot of the attack, she noticed a cord on the ground and she was convinced he was very close to strangling her um, because he said, oh, I, you know, I have a present for you and it was going to be this necklace. So that's extremely haunting if you think about that because this necklace was not a necklace it was a piece of cord he was gonna 
put around her neck and then strangle her with that. That's what I that's what I believe he was planning to do. And I think that's what multiple other people believe as well. So he drops her off at home, then he calls her from a phone booth. And this is such a weird phone call because he says, "Hey, like, you know, um that attack that I just did on you, that wasn't premeditated." What? Why would he say that unless it was? By some form of weird comfort in his mind, he tells her, if I wanted you dead, I would have killed you and your kids in your home. How scary is that? That is so chilling. So he calls her and he's like, uh, by the way, um, that wasn't premeditated. And if I wanted you dead, I would kill your kids and you in your home. So you better shut the hell up about this. And she was like, yikes. So from there, he goes home. He doesn't go back to kill her and her family, thankfully. And so he goes home and this is the same home his entire family is dead in. And he watches TV. But he doesn't just watch TV. He records three to four hours of TV over VHS tapes. And nobody knows what was on those tapes he recorded over. But I have a feeling it wasn't anything good. He also moved his car to a supermarket down the road and then walked back. He didn't want his car in the driveway. He said he didn't want people like popping in to like say good morning or whatever. Then he calls Corinne nine times, nine times repeatedly. Apparently he wanted to say sorry for attacking her or not having her money or both of those things. After that phone call, he started And this gets really messed up. I'm going to give a trigger warning here for a second. So after that phone call, he started dousing his children, wife, staircase, and attic with gasoline. He then started those fires. He started all of them, but he didn't start one in his bedroom. So he doused his wife's body with gasoline, but he didn't light her on fire. He did light his children on fire and all those other places in the home. He ate a bunch of expired sleeping pills, put clothing in front of the bottom of his door so smoke didn't get in, and opened his bedroom window just in time for the fireman to rescue him. So this is a very weird scene. I'm going to break this all down in a minute. When the bodies of the children and Florence are recovered from the home, they find the children had been shot and Florence had blunt force trauma to her head. Then the discovery of Jean-Claude's parents is made by a family member. And at first, police don't point the finger at Jean-Claude. And instead, they think someone was sent to kill him and his family. Okay, but this theory is this theory quickly gets thrown out when investigators dig just a little bit deeper. They just scratch that surface and they look into his life and... They call um, the WHO, the World Health Organization, to look for anyone who knew Dr. Ramond, Jean-Claude. Um, and they're like, Dr. Who? <laughs> you know, who at the WHO? They had no fucking idea. Nobody knew him. And that's when everything came undone for Jean-Claude. The investigators were like, okay, nobody at his place of work knows him. Oh, look, actually, he's not a doctor. They found out everything. Everything like being a second year med student for over a decade. And when police talked to Corinne, she's like, yeah, I think he tried to kill me uh, as well the night before the fire. Uh, Basically, he also said he was going to kill me and my children. So that was fucked up and he attacked me and he tased me and he maced me and he drove me out to a rural area and I'm pretty sure he was going to strangle me so I guess she didn't go directly to police after this which I'm not really sure why um 
But yeah, police did get that information when they called her. <laughs> Scary. Jean-Claude, he tells police that he was trying to kill himself by eating those expired sleeping pills. But the clothing under the door and the 10-year-old expired sleeping pills gave people a different idea. He did leave a suicide note in his car, but again, people aren't buying this. The sleeping pills may have been expired, but it still put him in a coma for like three days, and police were eagerly awaiting his awakening. His first story is, a man dressed in all black killed his family, but after seven hours of interrogation and all his lies were laid out in front of him, he tried to lie some more. Obviously, that's what people like this do. Finally, he's like, okay, I did it all. So he, I don't know why he just, I, it, the evidence was just probably too much for him to even be like, all right, I'm tired. I can't, um, yeah, I can't lie this way. In 1996, he was convicted uh, for the death of his parents, his wife and his children, and sentenced to just over 20 years in prison, which I found to be an extremely light sentencing. You would think it would be a life sentence per life, but it wasn't. And in 2019, he was set free he's free right now he was sent to live in a monastery where he is ordered to be at nighttime so during the day he could do whatever the fuck he wanted he was monitored with an ankle bracelet there were other stipulations of his release as well like communication orders but all in all he is a free man now and he would be around probably 70 years old which is uh, it's still really scary somebody capable of that it's just so terrifying and also somebody with who can convince people of things. Somebody who is that narcissistic. Uh, it's he. I don't know. Could you ever trust somebody like that? I mean, he could probably pretty easily wiggle his way through the system and still be the same man he was in the 80s, in the 90s. You know, it's, I don't know. It's just, it makes me uneasy. So that's the end of this week's case of the longest con I ever did see. It is extremely disturbing and it's very scary. Just how? How and why? I don't know. It is clear he was not mentally well. So hopefully he did get the help he needed. Um, I don't know if that's therapy, medication, whatever. I just don't know how he got away with that for so long. That's just so many lies. That is such a crazy lying life it's, I don't know it's just wild he like built up this whole life he was unemployed and he still had this like huge ass house and these luxury cars and was like getting people to hand him like millions of monies I don't know how he did this and I wonder what like his long-term plan was like halfway through this he must have thought what's my long-term plan plan on this like was he thinking he was going to kill everybody to I don't know like when it came to retirement or whatever like I don't know like was he just going to fake retire and then move him and his family far away from all the people who wanted their investment money back it's I, I don't know or was he just going to kill everybody or was he going to kill himself I have no idea it's just very disturbing to think you know someone for so long and yet you only know what they want you to think. And not even somebody who's like an acquaintance or a friend, but like your partner, your husband, your father, your son. It's it ju it's just crazy. Well, I don't know. We are done with that case now. That is that crazy, crazy case. 
Thank you for sticking with me through my COVID sinus infection. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I wanted my voice to get better, but anyways. Uh, last week, I put out the double feature episode where I covered two cases back to back that, you know, had similarities in them. And I have been actually getting a lot of good feedback on the double feature. I asked you guys, hey, please let me know. And you guys have been letting me know, but continue to let me know either on Instagram or in the comments on Apple Podcasts or Spotify comments or even email me at hellnopodcast at outlook.com. Hellnopodcast is all one word at outlook.com. And the Instagram is hellno underscore a true crime podcast. You can find and follow me on there. Please check out the Instagram and give it a follow. Uh, I also posted an image of the missing solder children who I covered last week. If you have any theories on that, it's just this crazy unsolved mystery that people are still talking about decades and decades later. I would love to hear from my listeners and I would love to see you over on the gram. If you're feeling supportive, please give the podcast a five-star rating on whatever, on whatever platform you are streaming on. It really helps me grow. It helps people find my podcast. It just all the support. It really helps me to keep going. And I would love to keep making episodes. Sometimes I just need a little bit of motivation. So any support you can give me, giving me a five-star rating, following me on Instagram, commenting on whatever platform you're listening on, sending me a message saying, hey, whatever. I just, I like to know that I'm supported, okay? I just really like to know that. <laughs> um, and keep sharing with your friends and family. A lot of you have done that. I'm really appreciative of that. So now I'm probably going to go take a nap. I woke up, I woke up this morning and I was like, you know what? This is day five of my covid sickness uh i'm probably better now because i think i'm some kind of super healer human <laughs> no i don't but i was like you know what i got a bit of energy so i took my dog out for a walk showered ate breakfast came into my studio to record and i fell asleep on my studio couch for about five hours <laughs> i was like okay so i guess that's uh where i'm at energy wise like i was exhausted I was exhausted. I was awake for maybe an hour and a half. I did like three things and I had to sleep for five hours. Then I woke up. <laughs> then I woke up. It took me like two, three hours to be like, okay, I can do this. I'm going to record. I have to record. I have to get this out. Um, and hopefully, hopefully I will only be about two weeks on my I'm, I'm kind of doing like a staycation I'll tell you more about it after but I won't be able to work on my podcast I am trying to work something out so it'll only maybe be one week I won't be posting um it's kind of like a little special uh that will be I don't know I might have something I might not anyways thanks for listening and see you next week